Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zalot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. This is the first of a two-part interview with Jenny Ingalls, Director of Fertility and Life Ministries for the Diocese of Lansing, Michigan. Our topic today is Natural Family Planning, or NFP. In part one of the interview, Jenny tells us how she came into the Catholic faith, in part, through the Church's teachings on NFP. She then offers an overview of her work with the diocese and speaks to the impact of this work on her ever-developing faith. Jenny Ingalls, welcome to our Bioethics On Air podcast. Hi, Joe. I'm happy to be here. Great to have you. So the first question I ask every new guest on our podcast is this. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, specifically your education and work experience leading up to your present position as the Director of Fertility and Life Ministries for the Diocese of Lansing? Sure. So um, I have a bachelor's degree in um, criminal justice, sociology, and political science. And I'm currently working on my master's degree in theology and bioethics, particularly the bioethics and through National Catholic Bioethics Center. And then Prior to working for the Diocese of Lansing, I did a bunch of things, but for about 10 years, I worked uh, in the secular world doing small business consulting. And what that really looked like was working with small businesses to try and assess uh, how they were doing, the health of the business, if they needed to make changes, if the business was even viable, things to that nature, and then kind of getting them up and running on their own. and then moving on to the next one. Hmm. Interesting. And, and uh, I should probably mention that we met, you mentioned the, you're, the, you're in the NTBC certification program. We met at one of our two-day seminars up in Bismarck, North Dakota this past summer. Yes, we did. So Jenny, I have heard that you have an interesting conversion story, and I was wondering if you would share some of that with us. Yeah, I'd be happy to. That's, um, it's, it's a long one, but <laughs> it starts with, you know, I was raised uh, really what you would call secular Christian. So our family didn't have much of a, a Christian identity, although um, my father claimed to be Catholic and my mother claimed to be Baptist. But in reality, like in our practicing day-to-day life, we didn't talk about Jesus at all. It was, uh, we celebrated Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, like we did the Easter Bunny thing. I was somewhat certain that um, Christmas had something to do with a baby because there were songs about a baby, but really it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't in the forefront of um, of my life when I was about I'd say eight years old, nine years old, somewhere around there. My dad um, started taking me to a church and uh, a Catholic church and told me I was going to join something called CCD. So I did this CCD. Oh boy, thing. I remember yeah. CCD. Oh yes, I remember. <laughs> yeah, I did the CCD thing for about a year. And then I did this thing that called a first communion, which was very perplexing for me since we, I wasn't familiar with really Jesus. Um, so it was a less than stellar um, entry into the Catholic church. I had been baptized as an infant and uh, obviously didn't remember that. And so my, my main memory from my, my, uh, First communion was actually, you know, not the the Eucharist or anything wonderful like that. It was the party afterwards where my dad drank a little too much alcohol and then tried to get a kite out of a tree, fell off a ladder and broke his back. So <laughs> <laughs> it 
yeah, it wasn't the best. Um, and then right after that, we never really went to church again. And so by the time I got into college, um, I was really, I would say, a, a practicing atheist. I had really absorbed the world, absorbed the people around me. Um, I'm kind of zealous in most things I do, so I didn't, you know, practice atheism lightly. And I went in there with um, a kind of anyone who believes in God is a moron type of approach to wow. to everything. Yeah, it was good. Made a lot of friends <laughs> that way. So <laughs> we, I went to a uh, college campus. I actually went to a Christian college. And I didn't go there for the Christianity aspect. I had gone there for the science aspect of it. And so I spent a good portion of my, my freshman and sophomore year in college just working. So I worked through college um, at a coffee shop and doing my studies. And I had friends, a lot of friends who were um, really reaffirming my atheism in that they would, you know, party and participate in the hookup culture and then spend Sundays and Wednesdays at church. And so I was, you know, it was really astonishing to me because I was like, what, what is wrong with these people? They claim to be Christians and here they are doing things that I wouldn't even do. Like what's wrong with these people? (laughs) And yeah, it was, it was not the greatest experience for me. So I love to tell people it's um, interesting that I actually had my first uh, real encounter with Jesus and my, um, my actual conversion started in college, but it wasn't because of the people I was meeting there that were students. It was there were it was kind of a two pronged thing going on. Like one of them was a professor I had who was himself Christian and able to really challenge my relativist type views. Mm-hmm. He built this relationship with me over the course of um, a, several weeks, where he would just you know, hey Jenny, what do you think about X? And he'd give me usually an ethical example and I would give him the the kind of prepackaged atheist response. And he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't really challenge it too much other than just listen and, and be a good friend. And so um after doing this for a really long time, he said, Jenny, I really need you to to answer this question for me. And what was that, you know? And he asked me, how can you justify or can you even justify um that it would be okay at some point in time for someone to rape and murder a three-year-old. And, you know, like that was just, this was just this really stark in your face question that you can't answer. It's okay to like, you just can't, it's always wrong. And so it became, it opened this dialogue really for if something is always wrong, that means there are things that are always right. And as soon as that sort of relativist kind of view had broken off, um, I was able to start to start really thinking more critically about those views. So that was one aspect of it. Actually, it, can I ask you what did if you, if you can tell us what did that professor teach? I'm curious. Uh, about that. Uh, he he taught political science. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. so since I was getting my degree in that, I had several classes with him. So I mean, you don't really. Um, just start that kind of question with somebody if you don't no. know them really well, no. right? No, you don't. You don't, believe me. <laughs> and so that was that was one of those questions where it was based off a, a really trusting relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think I tell people that's really the key to that type of question. You really have to have uh, a certain level of trust because you don't know what the person's response is going to be, right? right. Um, 
the other thing that was going on is that I was in a class um, that was based off of an understanding of what Christian love or Christian um, sexual relationships would be. So I didn't really, it was an elective class. I think I took it because most of the girls that were in my dorm with me took it. And so we we were taking this Yeah, I was like, okay, whatever, you're all in it, I'll take this class. So I need an elective to fill a spot. So I took this class, and it was like me, and I think there was probably mm, 20 people total. And basically, the class started off with some some basic concepts of the four loves, you know, um, Christian love from C.S. Lewis. But then it really went into a lot of hypotheticals. Okay, we are Christian, um, was a presumption in the class. And here's a hypothetical. Let's talk about this one. And it was basically the the professor opening up a room for discourse amongst all of the students. And it became quite clear to me. Now, these are the same people that are involved in the hookup culture that I had mentioned earlier. And so it became quite clear to me that this class became a sounding board for people to really just um, justify what they were doing on Friday and Saturday night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I disagreed with it. Like, I was like, no, you guys claim to be Christian. You claim to follow this guy named Jesus. And yet you're not doing anything that his Bible tells you to do. And so um, the class ended up becoming like me and this uh, Mennonite girl versus everyone else in the class. And so (laughs) I would argue these points. And at one point, somebody in the class got really frustrated with me. And they're like, Jenny, what are you, Catholic? Because this was a uh, this was actually a Dutch Christian reform school, and I'm like, no, what do you mean Catholic? No, I'm not. I don't even know. No way. <laughs> what are you talking about? And um, apparently, I had been arguing the the Catholic view of uh, human sexuality, and just from a logical standpoint. And so Amazing after that, how that class, happens, huh? It is. And so after that class, the professor pulled me aside, and he's like, you know, Jenny, I think you might be interested in this uh, Catholic document called Humanae Vitae. <laughs> <laughs> so I I uh, got a copy of Humanae Vitae and started reading it. And I was like, this makes so much sense. Like, I can't believe that um, the, the, these other Christians aren't really following this. And so it wasn't much longer after that. It took me, I'd say, three years after that to actually come into the Catholic Church. Um, prior to doing that, my husband and I had gotten married. So, um, I was, uh, at the time we got married, a practicing atheist and, or uh, borderline at that point. And my husband was a practicing agnostic, meaning that he was just part of the nun group, the N O N E group. (laughs) And so we get married and like six months later, I convert to the Catholic church, the Catholic faith. And he was like, what just happened here? (laughs) like, who are you and what just happened? Um, And so we had this nice little agreement that uh, basically you don't talk about Jesus, Jenny, and we'll be okay. So (laughs) that's how our marriage started out. Um, Our marriage started off with that. And at the time I hadn't, like, even though I had delved into the Catholic understanding of human sexuality, I wasn't living it. Right. So like my husband and I um, were still contracepting. We were doing all the things that the world told you you should be doing. It's like, oh, you get married, wait X number of years, and then you get off the pill and you have a baby or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, so we were kind of in the beginning throes of that, been married about a year. He was like, Jenny, don't talk about Jesus. We'll be fine. And I started um, having medical problems. I started having uh, symptoms of lymphoma. And so I ended up going through tons of doctors, just batteries of tests, 
And um, I didn't have lymphoma, thank God. But uh, the doctors couldn't really figure out what it was. It was this mysterious disease. And so at one point, I'm sitting at home and I'm like, well, I guess I have this mysterious ailment. I've got all these crappy symptoms I'm just going to have to live with. And my husband was like, hey, Jenny, you know, like you're on a pill that's hormonal. Um, a lot of your symptoms seem to be hormonal. Do you think it could be the pill? And I was like, no, if it was the pill, the doctors would have figured that out right away, right? Like that seems so obvious. So at my husband's insistence, I asked the doctor about the pill and he was like, no, it can't be the pill. The pill doesn't do that. And I'm like, okay, so that settles that. It wasn't the pill. And my husband was very adamant. He's like, just stop taking the pill. Let's see what happens. So I stopped taking the pill and um, miraculously, all of my symptoms went away. So all my problems went away and it turns out it was the birth control pill. So I called my doctor, told him it was the pill. And he was like, oh, well, let's just switch your birth control pill. So I spent, I don't know, six months to a year playing birth control pill roulette where like you take this one and there's a symptom and you take this one, and there's a symptom. And so finally my husband was like, Hey, we've been married almost three years. Let's just stop taking the pills at this point. And we could have a baby. And I was like, oh, a baby. I've never thought about babies before. <laughs> like, I I didn't realize that that was going to be part of this deal. Um, and so I, we quit taking the pill and um, just kind of expected a baby to show up, right? Like you expect to get right. pregnant right away because that's what the world tells you is going to happen. And that didn't happen. And then, you know, you get six months, eight months into it. And you're like, at that point, then you you want to be pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so then we're waiting for this baby that just doesn't show up. And so we found out that uh, I had infertility, um, very likely to do due to um, being in my childhood on Depo-Provera for an inordinate amount of time. Depo-Provera being a hormonal injection to stop ovulation, be- mainly because my mom had started me on it when I was 13. I have no idea why. And I just was on it for more than the recommended five years. and. So here we are in fertile and all this time I'm growing more and more in the Catholic faith. I'm learning more and more about what she teaches. And, um, I told my husband, I was like, we had gone to some different reproductive endocrinologists and they kept saying IVF, IVF. And I, I told my husband, I'm like, I, I don't really understand IVF. All I know is that the church says you can't do it. So I'm not going to do it. Um, and he respected that, you know, he respected that decision. We looked into, um, we looked into adoption and kind of decided, well, that's not really what we're, what we're going to be doing. And so we just decided we were going to live as a, a childless couple <laughs> and, you know, you do all the things childless couples are going to do. You go on a lot of vacations and remodel your house, get too many dogs. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, can I ask you, I, I just want to jump in and ask sure. where, where, where is your husband in terms of, uh, in terms of his faith through all of this? So you said that you got you got married. You were you were the the functional atheist. He was the nun, the n o n e, and then you essentially came back to your faith and were living that faith. Where was he? What what was he doing during all of this? What did did, did his faith develop? Did his faith grow? How, no, how, how did um, that's actually part of my my conversion story. But no, at this time, at this particular moment, uh, no, he was just very much like just keep it away from me. I want nothing to do with it. And so that's where we were at. You know, we decided to be a childless couple and that's where he was. So we approached the adoption thing from, you know, not discerning God's will, but from a a very pragmatic 
point of view, mainly his, and that, no, I'm just, I can't do that. It's just not something I could do, raise somebody else's children. And so um, we get to that point and we're living this life for about a year. And uh, I'm driving home from work one day and I'm listening to Catholic radio and somebody was telling uh, a story about needing a convalidation and just talking about this, this need for a convalidation. And so I'm listening to this and I was like, holy cow, that sounds like my situation. So I call up um, my priest and I say, you know, I, I think my husband and I are not, um, I, I don't think our marriage is sacramental. I don't think that we, we have a valid Catholic marriage. And he said, make an appointment and uh, bring, your, bring your husband down and we'll talk. So I made the appointment. My husband and I was like, hey, I go home. I'm like, hey, I have news. Um, I don't <laughs> think we're married in the Catholic church and that's a big problem for me. So we can either get married in the Catholic church or we can get divorced. What do you want to do? Wow. And he was like, I guess we're getting married again. So, so well, he's me, like, let me just jump back. So when yeah. you got quote unquote, got married the first time, I assume it wasn't in a church. It was, was it a, a civil ceremony or, or what? what was no. Um, like I had said, I had gone through my first communion. He has, um, at this point in our, our marriage or at our relationship, he'd never been baptized. So he was unbaptized. Okay. And, um, I had, uh, been baptized Catholic, gone through first communion. And then we legitimately picked our place where we were going to have our wedding party and then looked around for the closest non-denominational church. And then just uh, grabbed that. Got yeah. It. So got it. because okay. he had been unbaptized, it wasn't, and we didn't get the dispensation. It wasn't a, a valid marriage. So we head down to, um, our pastor's office and we meet with him and we walk in, he says, congratulations on your engagement. And now at this point, I've been a parishioner there for several years. And I was like, you know, father, we've been married civilly. I don't know. It was like five or six years at this point. And he was like, right. Congratulations on your engagement. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to do marriage prep for the next nine months. And that was like really shocking to me because I really just expected some sort of blessing and then you're going to like walk out married. I had no idea what I was getting into. And my husband at this point is semi hostile to the, to religion in general, let alone Catholicism. So it was, um, it was very shocking. So we both walk out of this meeting with this list of pre-marriage or like marriage prep requirements. <laughs> and so we're driving home and he's driving and I'm reading the list and I was like, okay, we got to go to this thing on communication and go to this thing on money and go to the basic Catholic teaching thing. And he was like, oh, that sounds fun. And then I was like, and then there's this thing called natural family planning. And he was oh, like, well, we check go. that. He's like, check that one off. You're infertile. So <laughs> no problems there. <laughs> so we're, we get through all these things. And we, we actually, father was like, all right, come back next week after you've had a chance to talk and we'll talk again. And so we go back next week and and we're talking, we're like, yeah, we can do all these things. This natural family planning thing is probably a moot point. He's like, no, I want you to go to it anyway. And he goes, oh, and by the way, since you guys are just engaged and you're not actually married, you get to live as brothers and sisters for the next um, nine months. I want to know how your, your, your husband or actually maybe your, your fiance, uh, responded to that one. He just looked at father and he was kind of like, whatever at this point like we'll just let's just get this over with at this point so so um it was it was actually a good meeting because that was like the time when when he was a really great pastor he was like you know 
I'm making you guys do this because divorce is like the hand grenade in a community. He's like, if you think about all of the things your marriage affects, it affects your parents and their parents and your cousins and divorce just makes it horrible. He's like, so that's why I'm doing this. And so really like when we walked out of it, you know, we were appreciative and we did learn a lot from it. Um, and it was a really good thing that we did go through the the whole process. But at first it was like, Oh, you've got to be kidding me. We've been, we've been making it this far. Like we made it past the normal divorce rate for people. (laughs) But, um, so we went through all the different things. We went through the, the various components of marriage prep and we saved the natural family planning for like the very last. Right. So like, this is the last thing we're going to do. This is stupid. And we get in there and it was not the best, most up-to-date program. Like it had been from like the 1980s, um, kind of like rainbows and kittens, second yeah. honeymoon every time. And yeah. And uh, so we tell you that uh, my wife and I, we got married in 1994 and we didn't even have it. And I, I can remember our marriage prep, the anything having to do with sexuality was just, we still laugh at it today. It's 26 years later and we're still laughing because it was so bad. So I, yeah, I, I, I sympathize with you. Yeah, and I was like, they couldn't find somebody that doesn't have a haircut from like 1984. <laughs> like, seriously, folks. Um, but yeah, that's what that's what we got. So, but we're sitting through this very skeptical, and um, the the nurse who was running it had said, you know, and I think there were other couples, like maybe ten other couples there, and she said, you know, and if any of you run into infertility, there's a method of natural family planning that can treat infertility better than IVF. And so my husband kind of like elbowed me a little bit and said, we should check into that. So, you know, we leave and I called, um, I called pastors and very, I think I called the diocese at first. I can't remember who I called, but we ended up finding a Creighton practitioner. There was only one in the diocese, but she was on maternity leave. <laughs> and I joke Ironically. now, yeah, no, I joke now that it's an occupational hazard. Um, <laughs> somebody that teaches natural family planning is always on maternity leave, but, um, she was on maternity leave. We ended up on a waiting list for like three months. And so by the time that we had actually gone through the class, our convalidation was like the following week. And so we ended up going through the, um, the introduction, went through our, we had our convalidation. So our marriage was valid. And then after three cycles of using like the Creighton method of natural family planning, and then um, also working with a doctor with some medical issues with it, we were able to get pregnant. And, you know, yeah, it was a total miracle, total miracle. And so we've got, we got pregnant and, um, unfortunately, you know, in the second trimester, we had a really rare medical, um, thing happen where we lost the baby and, um, it's called a partial molar pregnancy. And I also had a cancerous placenta growing. (laughs) So it went from like trying to get pregnant, trying to get pregnant. Yay. We're pregnant to like, now you've got cancer. Isn't that great? And so. Um, my husband at this point was like really all in on the natural family planning just because one, I wasn't on hormones that made me have crazy symptoms. And two, we were able to get pregnant. And so, um, I ended up having to have two surgeries to, to get rid of this cancerous placenta and I'm coming out of surgery and like, I do not do anesthesia well. Um, anesthesia and I are not good friends. There's like a lot of screaming and crying when I come out of anesthesia. It's, it's horrible. So my husband's sitting next to me. And I'm coming out of anesthesia and apparently the doctor looks at my husband and goes, your wife has a form of cancer that if um, she gets pregnant again, it's going to cause the cancer to grow and move all over her body. 
Um, so she can't get pregnant again. So she needs to be on three forms of birth control mm-hmm. or she could die. And my husband looked at the doctor and he's like, no, it's fine. We use natural family planning. And the doctor was like, she's going to die. And um, <laughs> I clearly didn't die. We ended up using the Creighton model for, I think it was another eight months before I was cleared to like um, get pregnant again. I we used it for that for avoiding pregnancy and it worked out really good. And so at this point, um, what happened that was critical was we had this tremendous loss and my husband was telling his friends and they're all kind of like, eh, that just happens. You'll get over it. Like babies die. It's no big deal. And we were devastated. And I, all my friends that I was, had been going to church with, and we had a funeral and all of these other things. And all of these people from my church show up at this funeral for this unborn baby. And that was the first moment where he was like, I don't know who these people are, but the fact that they love my wife so much that they would come to this is important. And so that was the, the softening, I think the entry point for him. In fact, I know. Um, and so then we get pregnant again, um, very first time try after we were cleared and we had, uh, my daughter, Miriam, who is now going to be eight soon. So we had her, um, and that was just, you know, a remarkable little journey and it had its own little problems, but (laughs) she's here and fine and happy. And then we had right after that, when she was nine months old, I I joke. I, I, we, uh, we decided to ignore an instruction in natural family planning <laughs> thinking, oh, we've been infertile. We always need to take medicine and do stuff. But nope, apparently not. So we got pregnant with my son, Teddy, who was born premature. He had a whole slew of problems. And, um, right before he was born, my husband, um, had started attending church with me just basically to help me with Miriam. And at that point, his faith really grew. And so right before uh, that Easter vigil, right before my son was born, he was baptized and confirmed and came into the church. Excellent. So it was natural family planning that was really his impetus into the church. Interesting. Yeah. Very so interesting. for me, it was humane vitae. And then for him, it was the actual like real application of, you know, how it works. And so that was where we were with that. Um, and then since then, we've had, unfortunately, a couple more miscarriages and, and my daughter, Eloise, but who is two and a half now. But yeah, we've, um, it, it's fascinating to see how the church's teaching on human sexuality can, can first people who were living in the secular world and all of the damage that it does to people to see how that can really bring you into the church. Right. Huh. And it would seem that uh, this story is, is, is a really nice impetus into the rest of our discussion concerning natural family planning. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, let's, let's move into that then. Uh, that's, a, that's a great story. And, and I've, I've never heard anyone tell the story about how NFP not only helped to bring themselves back into the church, but actually brought their husband back in as well, too. That, 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 that's fascinating, Jenny. All right, so let's 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 move ahead to to today and, and the work that you're doing today. So, I'd like to start off asking you, uh, why does the the Diocese of Lansing, who you work for, your employer, why does the Diocese of Lansing have a director of fertility and life ministries? So, the USCCB has standards on natural family planning 
that um, they want implemented throughout the various dioceses. And Bishop Boyer uh, was hiring, he wanted to hire somebody to um, implement those standards. And so in 2016, I was hired to do that um, on a part-time basis. So I was a part-time employee with that one primary goal of implementing the USCCB standards and then really taking um, the natural family planning program that we have to uh, <laughs> to 2020, I guess, if you will, or 2016, moving it from 1984 to 2016. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what I started doing. Um, it quickly became apparent that I would be dealing with various other issues, uh, big ones being miscarriage ministries. Uh, we have um, pornography is a huge problem that, that runs across my desk regularly. Uh, IVF, um, talking to people about IVF and, and working through those problems. And so we also at the time didn't have anyone that was the point person for life ministries. We have a lot of beautiful pro-life ministries in our diocese, but we didn't have a central person to be able to communicate any efforts that came out of the USCCB or to be able to organize the various ministries throughout the diocese. So um, Bishop and his uh, and the chief of staff um, really discerned that and thought, you know, that if you're really looking at Evangelium Vitae, that you have contraception and abortion is uh, two fruits of the same evil tree. They go together. And so that's when my particular job title was created. Did was were you the first director of fertility and life ministries? In other words, did the office exist before you were hired, or were you the person who was was brought in to to essentially build this office? I I am the first. Before that, we had an NFP coordinator um, who is who I took um, over for when I took over the part time position. But when the new office was created, it was a full time position, and I I'm the first one to fill that. Interesting. And as, as you were speaking, I, I was wondering, do most other dioceses have a similar type of office? And, and those that do, do you, do you network with them or work with them? And I'm just kind of wondering how that dynamic works. They do not. So there are a few um, full-time NFP people out there in general for different dioceses. Now they exist, but they're few and far between. I network with as many of them as I can. Um, but it's the same. So unfortunately with resources, what you'll tend to find in various dioceses throughout the country is you might have a pro-life director, but they also do, um, family life ministry, or they're also something else. You, you don't really have anyone that's dedicated to some, to those things full time. Now, obviously there are, um, unique circumstances and you do, but for the most part, no. All right. So you, you started talking about this a little bit, but I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about the actual responsibilities that you have as the director of, of fertility and life ministries. In other words, what do you do? Well, um, I do lots of different things. <laughs> and depending on the day, it changes. So yeah, tell, us what a, tell us what a typical day, whatever that is. May oh, look goodness, like. a typical day. Who knows? Um, I can tell you some typical things I do, but they don't always fall on the same day. So my position exists to uh, support pastors and their staff. That's that's why I exist. I don't exist to come in and actually work with individuals, although if a pastor sends an individuals to me, I do. And so one of the things that um, I do on a day-to-day basis is train other people to um, teach natural family planning, to troubleshoot charts, or to do whatever 
um, in the fertility realm in the different vicariates. So our diocese is broken up into vicariates, which are regions in which parishes exist. So I will work um, in helping train. Um, we have several different models, any of the USCCB models that are approved um, by the USCCB. We have we we can have in the diocese. We don't have them all because we don't have people interested in teaching them all. But if someone is interested in teaching them, um, I vet them and then um, can help get them trained and up and running in the different areas. So that's a big portion of what I do. Um, another portion of what I do is pretty much anything that comes out of the USCCB NFP office or pro-life office that Bishop wants me to to take on, I take on. So like um, the Walking with Moms in Need initiative that has um, came out of the USCCB, I'm, a, I'm the delegate for that. And then from a more practical like standpoint for couples, um, a lot of the difficult cases come across my desk. So if somebody doesn't feel confident in discussing something with a couple, typically like a lot of the pornography things end up in my office, how to, how to help these couples or couples that are planning on doing IVF or couples who hate NFP because they've had a terrible experience with it and they need help. Talk about some of those a little bit later on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So those are the kinds of couples. And then I do have different pastors that ask me to come in and do um, talks for their communities. So more recently, but right before COVID, I was able to go in and uh, just talk with married couples about natural family planning and the why. So I do a lot of teaching on Humana Vitae. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really anything in that realm um, that that would need to be uh, disseminated down into the parishes. Sounds like a, a quote unquote typical day at the NCBC. You never know what you're going to get, but it's never boring. <laughs> it is never boring. No. <laughs> my my next question. You, you've again. You've also um, you've also touched upon it when talking about how your faith was a, was awoken and, and developed. I'm wondering. How is your faith influenced today by your work? In other words, does does the work you're doing today, um, well, just how does it foster your ongoing faith development? Well, it's, you know, my faith is integral in it. Um, I attempt to, and sometimes not as successfully as I'd like, but I attempt to do nothing without consulting God first, um, or, or the blessed Virgin, right? So anything that, you know, just because I have a lot of ideas doesn't mean they're all good ideas. And so, <laughs> oh, I know that, boy, do I know that. Yeah. So taking that to, taking that to the tabernacle is an essential aspect of it. And then also at our diocese, I'm blessed to work with, um, a team of individuals who can just be like, Jenny, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. And so you've got to have those people in your life Absolutely. or you do really you stupid do. stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> right. So from that standpoint, um, I think that having the Lord guide, what is the thing we need to be working on? Because there's so much you could get lost in, in the amount of work. So having him guide that is essential. But at the same time, as he's guiding you through these things, you're growing in your understanding of what what he what the body reveals about the human person, and then also how how God is asking you to help others. Because 
it's one thing to be a Christian and say, yes, I'm a Christian and I need to help others. It's another thing for to really try and hone in on where God has you in that plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been something that has been interesting to see develop in the last almost five years for me is how is God um, really driving this and what else does he want me to know? Um, the bioethics, you know, it started off as natural family planning and implementing the USCCB initiatives or standards, I should say. And it's really grown into so many of the bioethical questions end up coming across my desk now that um, I've learned just a ton about that. Yeah, it's amazing how when you open yourself up, um, what comes back to you? Absolutely. This concludes part one of our interview with Jenny Ingalls. In part two, Jenny discusses what NFP is and its effectiveness in relation to hormonal or barrier contraception. She speaks about how NFP is being promoted and implemented within the Diocese of Lansing and responds to some of the common critiques leveled against natural family planning. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on bioethics on air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, or if you have suggestions for future podcasts, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at jzalot at ncbcenter.org. For archived editions of our podcasts, please go to our website, hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button, and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, please remember that the NCBC has a 24-hour consultation service. You can contact us by phone at 215-877-2660 or by going to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and clicking on Ask a Question. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.